but pick up in your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Genesis 6, 5 is where we're going to start today. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so um, bear with us. We're going to move fast. If, if you feel like you're going to be drinking out of a fire hose today, then probably because you are. I'm going to hit you with a lot of stuff, but we're going to run through portions of Genesis 6 and then jump into 7 and read all of 7 and study that real quick. And for those who don't know, I am a former school teacher. I treat this like a classroom. If you have any comments or things, questions, shoot your hand up. I want this to be a discussion and not just me talking up here. Um, add some points to it. I love that. And um, that's, that's how we all learn and grow together. I may not know the answer to your question. Most times I don't, but you can try at least. Um, but that's, that's how we kind of run things around here. So most, most people aren't used to that, but we have people adding questions or, or comments here and there. So you're welcome to do that, as long as it's pertaining to the topic. You know. So Genesis, 5, or Genesis 6, verse 5. Now, here it is in Hebrew. And if you follow my Hebrew students up here, if you want to follow along, Vayare Adonai ki rava. And it says, and, and saw God. God saw that rava ra'a, that there was great evil. That there was ra, rava ra'a, great evil. Ha'adam, that in ba'aret. So what he's saying is that God saw that the earth and people, the people on the earth became very evil. Vakol yatser, and this is in all their yatser is like your intentions, your motivations. Vakol yatser, machashvot. Now this is a very interesting word. Machshavot um, is like, like um, it's where we get the modern Hebrew word for computers. It's the calculations, it's the schemings, it's the intentions. They're all evil. And it says, Livol rach ra kol hayom. And man was like evil, nothing but evil, all of their days, or all the days. That's how we pick up in Genesis 6, verse 5. That all the people were very wicked. And all their imaginings, their schemings, their, their, their motivations of their hearts were what? Evil only. In verse 6, it says that the Lord regretted that he had made mankind on the earth. But let me back up and talk about how many years do we have since the, crea- or since the expulsion out of the garden? How many years have elapsed? We know that Noah is about 600, right? There's maybe a millennia here that's passed. Not that much time has passed. And you might be thinking, you know, and, and sometimes opponents to the Bible and the God of the Bible will say, what kind of God do you worship that is willing to flood the whole earth and, and commit genocide and wipe out every being on the earth? What kind of God is that? You I mean, surely there was innocent people on the earth. What, what is with that, you know? And it says here that all their hearts, all their imaginings were evil only. You might think, how can evil, how, how evil can man get in that short amount of time? Can I show you? And this is heavy. And I debated this morning whether or not I wanted to talk about this topic on Shabbat. But I want to prove to you a point that man can get really evil really quick. Man can get very nasty where all their imaginings, all their motivations are evil. Let's take the past hundred years, just the past 100 years. 
This is the amount of genocides that have taken place. According to sociologists, a genocide is the slaughter or the murder of at least a thousand people. At least a thousand people. In the past 100 years, since 1900 to 2005, so this isn't including the past 20 years, give or take. China, uh, Japan, 10 million. Soviet Union, 20 million during the collectivization process and you know, under Stalin and Lenin, 20 million people murdered. Germany, 11 million men, women, and children during the Jewish Holocaust in the 1930s and 40s. Got Argentina, El Salvador, Guatemala, Nigeria, Rwanda. Some of you were, you know, you remember these things on the news. China, 30 million during cultural revolutions, right? Rwanda, 1.6. It's just a small country during the, remember the, the, um, the ethnic cleansing going on in Rwanda? The, the, what was it, the Tutsis and the other ones? Yes, exactly, because of their facial features. Yeah, the tribal warfare. Uganda, a country that is so near and dear to my heart, I've been to three times. Almost one million people genocidally murdered in Uganda under the leadership of Idi Amin. He tried to kill uh, all Ugandan Jews. It was called the Ugandan Holocaust. And a certain uh, tribe called the uh, Acholi tribe tried to wipe them out. Sri Lanka. But look at all these numbers. I know these are pretty small. Bosnia, Croatia, Nigeria, Kenya, Zaire, Namibia. There's very few places and regions on the globe where they are exempt and did not experience some kind of genocide, right? Now, these are not including massacres. Massacres would be like 999 people or less. This is just the past 100 years. Hundreds of millions of people, innocent men, women, and children murdered for no reason other than they, they, they didn't fit an ideological box or they were of a different ethnicity and race. 100 years. And it says here, that all the imaginings of their hearts were always evil only. And there's an eschatological view called amillennialism that says that there won't be this cataclysmic event that will start God's kingdom, that things will slowly progress and get better and better and better, and then we'll find ourselves in God's kingdom in the millennial reign. What do we notice about these genocides? Are things getting better? It seems like the further we progress in history the worse they become, the more evil our imaginings get as we get technology and we get weapons of mass warfare and destruction and Zyklon B and you name it, right? Whew. We're in rough shape and we're getting rougher, aren't we? But Greg, I see your hand. I don't, I would think it would be hundreds of millions just in the past 100 years. Yeah. That's, you know, that's out of, out of thousands of years of our existence as humans. Um, this is just a small snapshot. So how fast can humanity devolve to evil and just wickedness really quickly? Really quickly. Abortions, unfortunately, take the lead and are considered, in my book, a genocide. 63 million abortions committed since Roe v. Wade in 1973. 63 million. In the United States, this is from the Guttmacher Institute. In the United States, the abortion rate for black women is almost five times that for white women. If that's not a genocide, I don't know what is. 
and the imaginations of a young woman named Margaret Sanger. I don't know what is. War. This is a study by the New York Times. In the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for only 268 of them. That is 8% of recorded history we have been at peace, as far as we know. How many people have died in war? At least 108 million people were killed in wars in the 20th century alone. Estimates for the total number killed in wars throughout all of human history range from 150 million to 1 billion. And are wars getting more like clean and peaceful and like, you know, precision oriented or doesn't seem like it? No. Doesn't seem like it. And the United States is one of the biggest merchants of death. Yeah, great. Well, 63 million abortions for sure. Yeah. So how fast can humanity become evil? <laughs> I, would, I would argue that we already are. So let's go to verse 6. It says, The Lord regretted. Adonai regretted. Now it uses the Hebrew nacham, which um, I like how the King James Version says that he repented of. He repented of. Because it's also used in Numbers 23, 19, to repent. The Lord was regretful, Nacham, moved to pity, that he had made humankind on the earth. And it atzav, the Hebrew atzav, it literally means to cut something. It cut his heart. Have you ever had a child and they have said something so mean to you? Or they've said, like, I hate you, mom, or I hate you, dad. Despite all the stuff that you've given them and provided for them. And how did that make you feel? Or I never want to talk to you again, right? It cuts your heart, right? And Adonai said, I will wipe out humankind whom I have created from the whole earth. And not only human beings, but animals, creeping things and birds of the air. For I regret ever having made them. Wow. Now, I just looked at the, the genocides of the past hundred years. And I'm like, I would do the same thing. I'd be like, man, I better stop this cancer before it gets worse. There are so many people suffering, right? Snuff it out before it gets worse, before this fire grows. But then it says in verse 8, but this man named Noah, he found Chen in the sight of Adonai. Now you see the play on words there is Noah's name backwards spells the Hebrew word for grace, Chen. But Noah found Chen in the sight of Adonai. And then it picks up in verse 9. Here is the toldot, the history of Noah. In his generation, Noah was a sadiq tamim. Now, the sages of old say that this is comparatively speaking. In other words, Noah wasn't this super righteous man. He wasn't this really, really pious man that was perfect. But rather, comparatively speaking, for the people he was surrounded by, he was a righteous man. Now, I time, from time to time hear people in the congregation say, like, you know, I can't, I can't um, bank with this bank, or I can't shop here, or I can't buy this or that, or because they give this and they, they support that, and that's, that's good, and I, I think that you should do your homework and you should research all of that. But sometimes you're going you're gonna to find yourself at wit's end. We are surrounded by Babylon. And you should do the best you can to withdraw from Babylon and to draw the resources and time and money from Babylon. But at the end of the day, you're going to be like, wow, I just want redemption from this world and this system that I'm living in and surrounded by. 
you can drive yourself crazy trying to withdraw from all that and find that it's in, in some ways it's almost hopeless until his kingdom comes. But I'm not saying don't do your homework and don't look for ways that you can withdraw from Babylon, but it's here. It's around us, right? Comparatively speaking, and it's okay because comparatively speaking, we do the best we can with what we got to work with, right? But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. But it says that Noah was a Sadiq Tamim. Uh, now, some translations have that he was wholehearted. That, that isn't in the Hebrew. It just says that he was, he was a pure Sadiq. He was, he was pure hearted. He was, like, he was like, there was no evil intent in him. Have you ever met someone and they're just like, just nice. And they're just like sweet. And they would never hurt you. They would never do anything to offend you or manipulate you. You know, find those people and, and learn from them, emulate them. But it says that Noah was like that. And it says that he walked with God. Now, when was the last time someone walked with God? Go back to 3, eight, uh, Genesis 3.8. I'll show you. Genesis 3.8. They heard a voice. They heard the voice of Adonai God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. So that the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of Adonai. So you see, who last walked with God? Adam. Now, Noah is like a Adam reboot. He's like a redo at Adam. And he's walking with God. Now, we had the opportunity as well. Go to John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then 1, 14. Who else was walking in the garden? It says, The word became human being, and it dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory, the Shekhinah of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. So here, Noah is walking with God again. Verse 10 Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yafet. And the earth was Shechatz before God. Shechatz is, um, remember in Exodus 12 when the angel of death is going around looking for those who do not have the blood on the doorposts. It describes the angel as the shachat, the destroyer. The one that brings chaos and death. And it says that the earth was shachat before God. And the earth was filled with this stuff called Hamas. Hamas. Have you ever heard of Hamas? I've heard it, but I can't remember what it means. What does Hamas mean in Arabic? What? Hamas, what does Hamas mean in, in Arabic? Hamas? Yeah. Yeah. The group, the terrorist group, yeah. In Hebrew, it means violence, but not just violence like, um, you know, if someone breaks in your house and you defend your home, violence. This is like un, unwarranted violence. And I tell people, this, and, and it's like, for those who have chickens in the room, have you ever seen a hawk or an owl swoop out of the tree? and take a head off of your chicken or something like that. The chicken is just doing its thing, just pecking the grass, right, and looking for bugs, and all of a sudden it's missing its head. That's Hamas. It's like unprovoked, unpredicted violence. And that's the essence of Hamas, the terrorist organization, as well. It's like unprovoked, un, you know, it's like just exploding myself in a crowd of people, right? Or it's blowing up a bus or something like that. It's, 
It's not face-to-face combat. That's the essence of terrorism as a whole. It's Hamas. It's unwarranted, unprovoked violence. And it says that the earth was filled with this stuff. Picture that. And God saw the earth. And yes, it was shachat. It was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all living beings has come before me. For because of them the earth is filled with Hamas. And I will destroy them along with all the earth. Now, who was the longest living person prior to this moment? Methuselah. Methuselah. And how long did he live? Now, his name, for those who don't know, Methuselah, it means my death will bring. Now look how he, when did he end his life? Here's the flood, and here's Methuselah. He lived right up to the year before the flood. His death shall bring. Now, what does Noah's name mean? Comfort, a rest. Metushalach, his death shall bring what? The flood. But then there's rest. Then there's Noah. Do you see the gospel being hinted at? Whose death brought rest? Hebrews 4, right? There remains a Sabbath rest for those who are in him, right? Metushalach, his death shall bring. So here it's like, Noah, I picture him sitting at the feet of these great righteous men who heard just three and four generations away the great, the great t- stories of walking in the garden and Adam naming the animals, right? And this amazing creation and being in God's presence. And Noah is sitting at their feet and he's carrying on this legacy of being this, this righteous tamim, this sadi tamim. And the earth around him is growing more and more corrupt. But he walks with God, doesn't he? And then all the while, there is this person, this individual known as Matushalach. His death will bring. And then Adam gets his commission, right? And the story continues. It says, 14, I want you to make for yourself a teva of gopher wood. Now, a teva, this is, there's only one other time where a teva was used in the scriptures. Anyone know? It's in reference to... Moses' basket. It doesn't use a typical word for a boat. Moses' basket. Now see if you can find the similarities here and the parallels between this teva and that teva that Moses was built. Moses was, was put in years and years later. He says, you are to make a teva with rooms and cover it with pitch both inside and outside. Now the word there is, he says to kaparat with kofer. This is the same where we get like yom, uh, yom kippur. It's the same root to cover, okay? Here is how you are to build it. In the length of the ark, is supposed to be 450 feet. Its width, 75 feet, and its height, 45 feet. You are to make an opening. It's like a window or zohar in the, in the Hebrew for daylight. And the ark, 18 inches below its roof, put a door in its side and build it with lower, second, and third decks. Also, I taught on this a couple years back about how there was um, a, lot of, a lot of parallels and and similarities between the, uh, the, the tabernacle, the Mishkan, the wilderness tabernacle, and the construction of the ark. A lot of different similarities there that we're supposed to think about. So he's putting them back into this place of protection. It's kind of like the garden, in a sense. And he's gathering animals, right? And their sustenance. Verse 17. Then I myself will bring the mabul. Of Ma'im. Mabul is like this sweeping flood. 
And has this ever happened before to humans? No, it hasn't. And it will go over the earth and it will destroy from under, under every, every living thing that breathes. Remember that breath of life, that, um, the nefesh chai that God breathed into, into, into every living thing? Everything on earth will be destroyed. But I will establish my, and this is the very first time we ever see this word. I will establish my breeds with you, my covenant with you. You will come into the teva, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And from everything living, from each kind of living being, you are to bring two into the ark to keep them alive with you. They are to be male and female. Of each kind of bird, of each kind of livestock, and of every kind of animal creeping on the ground, two are to come to you so that they can be kept alive. Also take from all the kinds of food that are eaten and collect it for yourself. It is to be food for you and for them. This is what Noah did. He did all that God had ordered him to do. So how many of each animal did Moses take in the ark? How many of each animal did Moses take in the ark? Oh, man. I'm sorry. I had to. Chapter 7. We're moving right along. Sorry, dad joke there. I'm pulling a Patrick on everybody. How long did it take him to build that ark? And Adonai, yeah, we're going to learn. Adonai said to Noah, come into the ark, your teva, and all your household. For I have seen that you alone in this generation are sadiq. Of every clean animal, that's uh, like a, it uses the Hebrew tahor. You are to take seven couples. And of the animals that are low tahor, not clean, one couple. Now let's pause here. Have we gotten any indication or any instruction in scripture up until this point of what is clean and what is not clean? How does Noah know that? They probably knew from the garden. Yeah, it's something that predates this and the, something that predates the revelation of the Torah and the, what we call the Mosaic Sinai Covenant or, or Revelation. Something that predates that, doesn't it? We don't know exactly how Noah knows that, but it, it's, he knows that. It's clear that there's things we eat, there's things we don't eat, right? And he says, if also the birds of the air take seven couples in order to preserve their species through the earth. For in seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And I will wipe every living thing that I've made from the face of the earth. So Noah did all that Adonai ordered him to do. We see that phrase being repeated, don't we? Noah is obedient. Verse six, Noah said, Noah was 600 years old when the water flooded the earth. And Noah went into the table with his sons, his wives and his sons' wives because of the flood waters. Of the clean animals, of animals that are not clean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, couples, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had ordered Noah. And after seven days, the water flooded the earth. So let's, um, let's pause here. And I want to I take a little detour and come back to this momentarily. Turn with me to 2 Peter 2.5. 2 Peter 2.5. There's another accusation that people level against the God of the Bible is that he didn't give them any advance warning. That he just flooded the earth. Yeah, okay, so fine. We'll, we'll give over that they were evil and greedy and murderous. But he didn't give them any warning or a chance to repent. But what is 2 Peter 2, 5? Someone read it nice and loud while I take a swig of water. And he did not spare the ancient world. On the contrary, he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, and brought the blood upon a world of ungodly people. 
I like that Peter calls them a herald of righteousness. It uses the Greek word that is connected to in the ancient Greco world um, when a king or an emperor would make an edict. They would send these heralds, and it uses that same Greek word. These heralds would go from town square to town square, and they would proclaim something that the king wanted them to proclaim. And sometimes they went out in pairs. They went out in couples like that. And they would be heralds of that. So Peter is using that same Greek concept and saying that Noah was a herald of what? Righteousness. Noah, in some translations, yours might say preacher of righteousness. So Noah, every, yeah, verbally, he's maybe speaking out as people are coming and seeing this thing that he's creating. How many of you have been to the the ark encounter up in Kentucky? I mean, people travel from all over the world to come see this ark. And that's that's even with modern technology and building materials and, and cranes and all this other stuff that we have, people flock to it and want to see that. Can you imagine in the ancient world, Noah is building this thing and it's like he's taking decades to build this thing. And then he's getting there and it's like, why are you doing this? Herald of righteousness. God's going to flood the earth. Right? Get ready. And with every blow to the nail, every time he swung that hammer or sawed through a board, he was heralding righteousness. He was heralding the, the, the coming judgment, wasn't he? Every swing of a hammer was a step in faith for him. I have no idea. I've never imagined anything like this in my, in all of my 600 years of living. I've never experienced this, but I'm going to step in faith and drive this nail and this peg into this piece of wood here and look like a fool while I'm doing it. But Noah, I see your hand. Oh, it's Noah. (laughs) Did you have a question about your story? Yeah. What is the red? Uh, that is, I can't read it. Um, that's the time of birth to the time of the birth of their kid. Yes, thank you. That's, that shows when the next one was born. Yeah. And how old they were when the next offspring was born. Good question. So he's here. Okay, go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, verse 7. Hebrews eleven seven. And when you get there, just read that verse really loud for me. Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You see that? It says, by this. What was it this? Building the ark. What did Noah do? He condemned the world. He was saying to the world, the judge has decided. The gavel has fallen on humanity and you have been found guilty. And every time he swung that hammer, it was speaking and heralding condemnation. Go with me now to, uh, to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, 19 to 20. 1 Peter 3, 19 to 20. And read those two verses when you get there. Read them nice and loud. God waited patiently during the building of the ark in which a few people, 
the deep Pacific eight were delivered by means of water. You see that God waited patiently as he was heralding the, uh, heralding the coming judgment and condemning the world. God is patient through that. So if someone comes at you and says all this stuff and tries to accuse the God of Israel of being unjust, there you have some arrows in your quiver. You can say, no, God is patient. He's long-suffering. And his judgment is coming again, right? Go with me to Luke 17. Luke 17, verses 26 and 27. Luke 17, verse 26 to 27. And somebody real... Now, before you read it, though, pause. Um, we, we think... Let me ask this. How, how many of you think we're living in the last days? How many of you? Most of you do. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care one way or the other if you do or not. Like, I, I, I tend to think we do. I hope we do. <laughs> but most of you do. Now we think, okay, you know, I, I'm going to go home today and I'm probably going to take a nap and I'm probably going to eat and I'm going to go out to dinner and I'm going to do all this. And like, I'm, I live a pretty peaceful life, right? Not a lot of suffering going on in my life. I think, okay, gay probably just bubble of existence. Things are pretty hunky-dory. Right? It might be for you as well, for the most part. Right? So, so maybe, maybe I could lull myself into thinking that God's judgment is not impending on the world. It's not coming soon. Because things are pretty good for Gabe Rutledge in Dothan, Alabama. But what does Yeshua say in Luke 17, 26 to 27? Somebody read it out loud. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the son of Adam. They did eat, they drank, they married women. They were given in marriage until the day of Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Thank you. Sounds a lot like my life. Right? Eat, drink, sleep, give in marriage. Right? What's interesting about what Yeshua is saying there is that the people were so lulled into this, everything's good with our lives. We've got it going on. We're comfortable. But the accusation brought against them was like, under the surface, you guys are, all of your imaginings are of evil. And the United States of America is so guilty of thinking, oh, we're, we're okay here. We're good. We're insulated or something. Yeah. But man, that number of 63 million boys and girls taken from the place, the Hebrew word for womb is rachum. And it's the same root as racham, which means mercy, place of mercy. And here in the United States of America, we're taking 63 million of our defenseless children, ripping them from the rachum, the place of mercy, and showing them the opposite. But, you know, things are hunky-dory, right? It says, where did I leave off? Verse 13. On that same, on that, no, I'm sorry, verse 10, I think it was. After seven days, the water flooded the earth. And on the 17th day of the second month, the 600th year of Noah's life, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of the sky were opened. And it rained on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And on that same day, Noah entered the ark with Shem, Ham, and Yafet, the sons of Noah. Noach's wife and three wives of his sons accompanying them. 
And they and every animal of every species, all the livestock of every species, every animal that creeps on the ground of every species and every bird of every species, all sorts of winged creatures. They went into the ark, the teva with Noah, couples from every kind of living thing that breathes. Those that went in, male and female, from every kind of living being as God had ordered him. And Adonai shut them inside. The flood was 40 days on the earth and the water grew higher and floated up the teva so that it was lifted up off the earth. And the water overflowed the earth until it grew deeper, until the ark, the teva, floated on the surface of the Mayim. And the Mayim overpowered the earth mightily. Now pause here. What did we see in the first pages of scripture? In Genesis 1.1. What do we, do you guys remember that? The, ar- the, the earth was dark and it was, it was void. And it said that the spirit of God hovered over the water. So it picture, remember I told you to picture this dark, stormy, churning water that covered the face of the earth. And what, what are we getting back to? The same thing. We're getting back to the same thing. And it said that the water covered the mountains by more than 22 and a half feet. And all living beings that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, and other animals, insects, and every human being, everything in whose nostril was the breath of the spirit of life. Whatever was on dry land died. Now, I married a very merciful woman who has a heart of gold when it comes to animals, and I want to be more like her when it comes to animals. Um, Just, you know, last week when we had those really hard freezes, she happened to see a, a stray cat or two in our neighborhood, and one was kind of walking around our house, and she, um, she went down, I, I guess maybe you found it in the trash, it was like this cooler. And uh, she took some objects in addition to that, and she tried to make like houses for these cats around, you know, like in the front porch and elsewhere, and then put like bedding inside it, and like a little bit of food, um, because she knew that I was, it could kill a cat if they were out in the cold. And I don't know if they took her up on the Stacy Hotel or not, but... Um, <laughs> I, I, in my kind of like hard-heartedness, was like kind of poking fun at her about that, right? And I was saying, oh, it's another cat trap or something. <laughs> but I, I stopped and I gained appreciation for her heart of like her mercy towards any living thing, really. If she sees anything in our house that's living, you name it, she's going to try to rescue it and put it outside as opposed to me who's going to like squash it, right? And... Um, she just has that heart of gold toward that mercy towards animals. And I think, I think Karen is the same way, like, like towards, towards animals and Ted, like towards, towards animals. You guys have that, that heart with like, like they're, they're God's creation, right? And they're so precious and they're innocent. And we look at this verse and it's like, when I think about that and I know like Stacy's heart, like towards animals, for instance, and her love for animals, whenever we see roadkill, she's like, oh, I can't look at that, you know, breaks my heart. And we look at this and it says that everything that had the breath of the spirit of life drowned. It's like, man, that crushes me. Because I know that God's heart is, like uh, Nicole and I were talking about a Hanukkah party, like God loves his creation and he wants us to love it as well. But that's the consequences of sin, isn't it? That's the consequences of our corrupting the earth. Even right now, today in 2022, the last day of this year, the Gregorian year, it's like our sin can corrupt and it can emanate outwards from our sin. And here it's like the consequences of sin, the consequences of Gabe Rutledge's sin is that innocentness 
goes away and innocent things and people have to suffer. I inject brokenness and corruption into the world when I make a choice to break God's law. And we do that today as well. It says he wiped out every living thing that was on the surface of the ground, not only human beings, but livestock, creeping animals and birds in the air. They were wiped out from the earth. Only Noah was left along with those who were with him in the ark. And the water, it held power over the earth for 150 days. That's, that's 150 days before it even started to recede. And, and there's a lot of different estimates, but most people tend to settle on that Noah and his family were going to live in this ark for just over a year. About 370 days they're going to dwell in this table, this ark. And it's hard to even imagine, you know, like... Um, knowing that you were spared when everything else is just the slate is being wiped clean. And, you know, there's this phrase that's used, uh, the, the spirit of the age. And it's kind of a catch-all phrase for the satanic and demonic forces that we are facing and at war with in this world and in this age. And it says, Paul says in Thessalonians that that um, those things are being revealed, but the restrainer is holding them back. In 2 Thessalonians 2, I believe it is. And guys, we are living in a day and age when I, I showed just the past hundred years, right? We're living in a day and age when not only is there a decrease in righteousness, but there is such an increase of corruption and sin and dysfunction and injustice in the world it is like done as a blatant affront to the God and creator of this world. I mean, there is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is having to come to terms with the fact that there were children invited into a drag queen Christmas uh, concert in Florida where is highly sexualized content going on with men that are dressed like like gross caricatures of women and every woman in the world should be highly offended by that. And Ron DeSantis is saying, I'm going to prosecute. But think about the fact that those people did that knowing the law in Florida, knowing that that was a criminal offense to show uh, sexually explicit content and behavior to children in the state of Florida. If that is the, the courage and the boldness of the demonic realm of this age, what do you think it will do to the family of Gabe Rutledge or Brian Meadows or Seth Becker or Adrian Barajas? The boldness and the, and the, the gross perversion that it's willing to put forward into, into attack people that are, that are trying to just be like wholehearted and pure. It's like in this day and age, you can't just be neutral. You've got to be for or you're against. And if you're against, buddy, get ready. Because then you're going to experience the Hamas. What do you mean you're not for us? What do you mean you're not going to display that on your storefront? Does that mean you hate? Are you intolerant? Right? And the irony there is we're going to display acts of hate and intolerance to you because we think you're that. Guys, the, the spirit of this age is so powerful. And 
I, over the years, you know, I, I've counseled with men and women, um, couples. I never, I never meet a couple or a man who has fallen into sin and been like, yeah, I just woke up today and decided to pick up an addiction to pornography. Or, yeah, I just decided today that I was going to, um, you know, go back to my old drug habits and stuff like that. I've never, man, I've never met a man. I've never, and maybe they exist. I don't know. I've always met a man that was like, it was just a gradual progression. And I woke up three months later and realized I was stuck. Or my wife found it. Or I hit her. You name it. It's this gradual progression and assimilation into the, the demonic powers and it's this winning over of you and your loyalty to that over time. It's like a long game. And guys, like I said earlier, we are surrounded by this Babylon. We're surrounded by, as John says, Babylon, right? Surrounded by the kingdoms of this world and the demonic forces that we're fighting against. And one of the best tactics our enemy uses to defeat you and your faith is to allow you to forget that you're even at war. You catch me? If he can get you to forget that you're even at war, he's won. Um, the art of war, Sun Tzu, uh, what was his name? Um, Sun Tzu, thank you. He said, he, he actually characterizes in his book, The Art of War, the best ta- tactics that an army can employ against a, another army. The number one tactic to gain victory, according to him in his book, is that to, to, to gain victory over your enemy without even knowing they were at war. Can anybody say uh, that's happening today? Yeah. TikTok, anyone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To gain victory over your enemy without even knowing they are at war. Wow. So I've done something today, and I, I, I don't usually do this. Um, I want to take a drastic measure today. Because I truly believe and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt because I've stood toe to toe and face to face with men and women in this room whose marriages are right on the verge. And if you're thinking right now, oh, Gabe's doing this because he just counseled me and my wife. Yes. The thing is, there's numerous of you in the room who have counseled. And this is awkward. This is embarrassing. I'm not going to name names. But guys, the world is out to get your marriage. The world is out to get you. And if it can take you out as a husband, as a father, it can take out your kids. It can take out your kids' faith. It can take out their kids' faith and so on and so forth. It plants a seed of corruption and sin and cancer in you and your spiritual walk that will have generational impacts. So here's what I've done. As a shepherd of this congregation... I'm going to take a drastic measure and get awkward and say that it's time to regain some ground. It's time to claim victory over our enemy and be cognizant of the fact that we are at war with him and that your marriages and your families, your faith is at stake today. Of every couple that I've counseled of of late in the past, let's say two years, numerous couples, some in this congregation, some not. The one thing in common is that they don't spend a regular time in the mornings or in the evening as a family doing things that are reconnecting them to their faith. And they've asked me for guidance in that area. 
Now, I am just as guilty as they are. They, you know, I, sometimes I co-opt that out to Stacy, and part of her homeschool curriculum is to sit and read the boys. Um, but what I'm going to do, and I'm calling this, this is kind of cheesy, but I'm calling this my challenge, my ark challenge. It's time to get into the ark. It's time to prepare an ark. Now, you might be thinking, I'm, I'm, 1 Peter 4.17 says, For it is time for judgment. Just like you guys said, yeah, we think judgment's coming soon. It's time for judgment to begin where? In the house of God. Yeah. And if it begins with us, Peter is saying that that's us. Judgment's going to begin in our houses. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel of God? If our houses are not in order, if our arks are not secure and water tights, how can we be worthy vessels of salvation and light and salt in the world? Now, I'm not saying God can't use brokenness and imperfection. So what I've done, like I said, numerous people have asked me for this, is just some basic, like, like just some nuts and bolts guidance on what you need to do to build your ark in your home. And I've got some guys. I want every thought. Let me start with fathers and husbands in the room. I want these to go out one per family. I've only got 50 copies. And I need a copy as well right here. You guys go ahead. I want fathers in the room. Uh, hit them first. And then if, you're, if your husband or your family is not here, everybody gets, gets one of these. I just want to limit it to like one a family. And these are going, and like I said, you might be thinking, man, Gabe, as you're getting it and looking at it, man, Gabe, this is a little bit um, legalistic. Or you're kind of forcing this on us. It doesn't feel, yes. Yes, that's the case. I am, I am challenging you. Now, <laughs> As a middle school teacher, I used to go to my students and say, hey, the test is tomorrow. What are you going to do tonight? Study. Okay. Then they walk into class. Did you study last night? Some would say yes. Some would be like lying to me. Some would say no and be truthful. But guess what? Test is there. I'm not going to help you. Once that test hits your desk, I go silent. Okay, now that that has gone out, anybody else that did not get one, um, and the reason why I'm giving it to husbands and fathers in the room is because they need to take the lead on this. And if your husband or father, if you're not one of those that's present today, you can do this, and I challenge you to do this. But sometimes sometimes it just needs to come from another man. And I'm, I'm up here, and I'm telling you as men, husbands and fathers in the room, do this tonight. And guess what? When you come back into my classroom, what will I say to you? Did you do it? Now, some of you right now in this room, you already do something similar to this. Keep doing that. Just disregard this or use parts of it. Disregard this and keep doing that. So I want to make sure the ladies up here get some. If you didn't get one, if your husband is not here, whatever, I don't, I'm not trying to make you single you out or make you feel weird. Just, I just want to make sure we have enough that they go to every household. And if we have any extras, we can just pass those out too. I just want to make sure that we have at least one in every household. Okay. Um, d- does anyone need one here that would like one? I think we have a bunch of extras, right? Yeah, let's get one to Brenda for, yeah. Um, just raise your hand if you'd like one. We have extras now, so let's just open up. Whoever wants one, um, let's get it. And then we're going to read through it together. And here's what you're going to do. Husbands and fathers in the room, I'm talking to you. 
and young men, I'm talking to you. You're going to sit your family down and you're going to say, Gabe's making me do this. That's fine. You can, use, you can throw me under the bus. I'm inviting you to do that. Gabe is making me do this. Let's gather together. Turn all the phones off. Turn the TVs off. Turn everything off. Put it in a different room if you have to. Stop it. Take 15 to 20 minutes. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to build your ark. Read at least two, two chapters of scripture daily. I don't care what you read. Read at least two chapters of scripture daily. Either tonight or tomorrow morning. Talk about what was read. What did you guys learn? Do you have any questions about anything? Okay, let's move on. Pray together. And now sometimes you're like, what do I pray? Well, I, I got that covered for you. Here, I got some prayer points. Protection and unity in your marriage. Protection and unity of the family. Protection uh, uh, and direction and unity of our congregation. Confession and repentance of areas of sin. Opportunities to be a herald for the kingdom. Just like Noah, right? Rebuke and disavow multi-generational sin, trauma, or spiritual oppression. Express gratitude for your spouse and family. If in the morning, pray through the morning Shema. If in the evening, pray through the bedtime Shema. Just get your Siddur. You can read that. You can look it up online. Okay, there, that's it. Pray through those things. And then lastly, this is my, my last ARC challenge to you. Be home and present on Friday nights if you can. As you honor and set apart the Shabbat, make Erev Shabbat dinner, the Shabbat dinner, notably different, grateful, and joyful. That's not too hard. So set a time early in the week, Friday night, we're going to be here, right? We're going to meet every Friday night. We're going to honor Shabbat, sundown, Friday night. You'll grow to love it. Invite people into your home, right? Now, you don't have to do all those formulaic prayers. Like if you've ever been in my house, sometimes we do that, you know. I don't care what you do. But just gather together as a family on Friday night. Make it special. Say a prayer. Dedicate the Shabbat to God. Okay? Husbands, during your prayer time. Here, here's an idea. Pray this over your wife. Father, thank you for my wife with whom you so graciously blessed me. May, may you bless all the work of her hands. May she be known in our family and in our community as a woman of noble character and valor. Strengthen our marriage and protect it. Help me and teach me to daily show her the sacrificial love of our Savior, Yeshua. May I continue to cherish and defend her from all harm. In Yeshua's name, amen. Pretty simple, right? You can take away, you can add whatever you want. I don't care. The, the point is that you do it. Wives, pray this over your husbands. Father, I thank you for my husband that you so graciously given to me. Strengthen him in body and in faith. Protect him from the schemes of our enemy and may he come to be known as a man of wisdom, strength, and humility within our home and community. Strengthen our bond as husband and wife and enrich it with your love. Teach me to better love, serve, and protect him as I represent the bride of Messiah, holy and blameless. May I come to cherish and honor him more each day. In Yeshua's name, amen. If you have children in the room, Simple, just read this, pray this over them. Father, thank you for the children you have graciously blessed me with. Children are a gift and they are a reward from you. May we as parents learn to raise them up in your word, teaching them what is righteous, just, and loving. Guide their steps and give them godly wisdom, clarity, and make known, uh, make known your purposes to them. May they develop a love for you and your instruction. In your perfect timing, may you grant them with God-fearing spouses who will walk side by side with them in their calling. In Yeshua's name, amen. This should take 15 minutes. And remember, I put on the bottom there. Consistency trumps complexity. The more complex you make it, the less consistent you're going to be. Keep it simple. Keep it consistent. Whether that's working out in the gym, whether that's 
reading your Bible, whether it's memorizing something, whether it's doing this arc challenge right here. And men in the room, ladies, you're exempt. You're exempt. I'm not going to do this to you. Men in the room, rest assured, I will hunt you down. And I will ask you, how is it going? How is it going? Are you doing the thing that I challenge you to do? Because guys, we're at war, right? Let's go to war. Let's quit being on the defense, right? I want, to, I want to take a little ground for the kingdom. And if you pray through this, if you do this, it will strengthen your marriage. It can't hurt it. It can't hurt your family. Some of you are already doing this. Then just scrap this and do, keep doing that. Keep up the good work. But this at least, see, men, sometimes we're like knuckleheads. We need another man to say, Anthony, just do this. And then Anthony does it. It's like Macy's been telling him for six months. Like, okay, well, well, Gabe tells you and all of a sudden you're doing it, right? (laughs) Sometimes we can just be knuckleheads, right? We'll do this. All right. With that, let's take five minutes. And if you have any questions or comments about Genesis 6, I'm going to close in prayer and then we'll take those. Abba Father, I thank you so much for everyone in this room who's gathered together to honor your name, to worship you, and to call you holy. You are so good to us. Father, I just pray supernatural protection over the people in this room and their marriages and their families. May we be known as people who are shrewd and wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves, who are going to war for your kingdom and are working to build an ark and being heralds of your kingdom. Father, may you move in us and give us clarity, give us wisdom and direction. And I pray all this in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Amen. Guys, let's take five minutes before we eat lunch here. What questions or comments do you all have? And if you didn't get one of these pages and you want one, just come see me. I'll make sure you get one, okay? But do we have any questions or comments? Yeah, Mr. Wayne. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It means a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pray for your country as well as your families. Yeah. All right. I'm in. Hey, Marvin. One thing I want to mention, uh, Disney has a tour line. There was a guy on there that uh, messed with a young girl. Mm-hmm. He was from India. Instead of going back to Florida where he'd gotten 25 years in prison, they sent him back to India before he could go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm Man. just letting you know about Pray for Disney. justice. Yeah, pray for justice. Anybody else? Yeah, James. Everybody kind of shows Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I think praying through this yeah. and doing this will heighten your spiritual mm-hmm. senses yeah. to where you'll be more sensitive to those kinds of things. It'd be more, excuse me, discerning of those kinds of things. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Media is huge. Yeah, Brenda and the Karen. And morning and night. First thing in the morning, pray. And at night, before you go to sleep, please mm. pray. That's what Bob and I do. That's good. We put a protective hedge around the children, mm. the grandkids. Yeah. But consistent. Consistent, yeah, yeah. And you guys have a beautiful relationship and friendship. And it's evident, so, yeah. We try. Yeah. For Bob, it's hard. Yeah. Yes, Karen. I'm sorry. Sure. Have a good 
the genesis, something that, that kind of struck me, and, you know, like every once in a while you go, oh, okay, I didn't really notice that before. But when God says, like, in, in this version, it, um, New King James is like, um, when he's telling Noah that he's going to destroy the earth, he said, I will destroy them with, with the earth. Mm. So it's kind of like, not only are they, not only was humanity polluted, but it's like, there's the sin pollutes the earth mm -hmm. as well, as yeah. it harms the earth, and it, it's like the earth is groaning. Know, it's, it's, like, it's like the second witness, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's like, God's going to go, okay, well, I'm going to use the earth, I'm going to allow the earth to yeah. do what it needs to do to kind of heal itself as well, or whatever, I don't know, maybe I'm getting too esoterical, but, but it's almost like, like he uses where we live, and he uses the earth to bring judgment, yeah. and I know, you know, there's a lot of times when, um, when we'll have hurricanes or something really bad, and you know, people say, well, that's God's judgment, and I say, well, no, it's not, but then, yet, you look throughout the ages, also, there's a lot of correlation with the land and with the, with Israel, and how, um, when things happen in Israel, or there's things that go against what God has proclaimed for Israel, then, judgment happens wherever yeah. like there's a, there's a judgment that, that holds that so it's kind of like when he says he uses the earth in judgment it's kind of like yeah. this real symbiotic relationship yeah. so it's like yeah. when man sins it's like the earth retaliates yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what Romans 8, Paul says, all creation is groaning, right? For the coming redemption. But yeah, I mean, heaven and earth are like witnesses against us or for us, right? I call before you today heaven and earth, um, you know, as, as witnesses. And in Torah portion Ha'azinu, he says, hear, O heavens, as I speak, and listen, earth, to the words of my mouth. He's calling them as witnesses. He said that they be for or against us. So, Save the best comment for last year and go with Miss Helen. No, <laughs> yeah. That happened in Genesis also when Adam sinned. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. earth turned against him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He had to get to work to earth. Work, yeah. He yeah. used to just walk through the garden and speak to the garden. Yeah. Different things would happen. But then he had to start to toil for Labor, the sweat of his brow, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now the yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to – very good comments and questions. Thank you, and feel free to come up and see me if you have any more. But we're going to get ready for uh, eating lunch. Let's say the uh, fish over the meal real fast.